Welcome to the Ashley T. Lee Podcast, and here is Ashley. Thanks for joining me. Today we'll continue in Matthew 26 to finish it. This part of the chapter deals with the final hours before Jesus was crucified. Think about it. Jesus was with the disciples at the Last Supper where Judas left after being exposed. Then they all sang hymns after they drank from the second cup of wine during their feast meal. The hymns sung were from Psalm 113 and 114. These psalms recounted the history of God's victory with His chosen people, the Israelites. Here's a sample. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. From Psalm 113, and then Psalm 114 went like this. When Israel went out of Egypt, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his domain. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. This was when the waters parted so they could travel through on dry ground. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. This was when the water came out of the rock as Moses struck it. And then at the end of the Last Supper meal, the third cup, called the cup of blessing, was offered. So these beautiful words from Psalms reminded the Jews how powerful and holy and perfect God was, so they could be thankful and focus on God and not their mundane cares and worries. Then we see that Jesus talked about his body being broken and the blood shed for them. In 1 Corinthians 10:16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This last feast with the disciples before Jesus went to the cross was the table of remembrance set up by Jesus in the upper room for the disciples to learn. The Last Supper showed the disciples that the bread and the cup were representative of Jesus' body and blood as remembrance of his sacrifice on the cross that brought freedom from slavery and sin. This represents the freedom from slavery in Egypt and the freedom from slavery to sin that would be broken once Jesus died on the cross. Now, after the Last Supper, there would be a valley before the victory. This valley would be Jesus' predicted denial by the disciples once he was betrayed. Then today we'll talk about how Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples fall asleep. And finally, the valley represents when Jesus was taken captive by all the betrayers. And later he'll be questioned by all the Sanhedrin. Then there'll be the final denial of Peter, Jesus' closest confidant. Listen to hear about all these details as we divide the second half of Matthew 26 into sections. 1. Jesus announces the betrayal of all the disciples and Peter. After Judas left the upper room, Jesus told the rest of the disciples, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you in Galilee." You know, when we hear Jesus saying these words about betrayal from his loyal followers, it makes us sad. And we would assume that that thought made Jesus sad also. But if we look deep into Jesus' comment, he was merely fulfilling prophecy by announcing stumbling of the disciples. Zechariah 13.7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. If you've ever heard the complete story of Jesus' death, then you remember that all the disciples will scatter. 
Why? Is it because they hate Jesus? No. Because they decided to turn back to Judaism? No. They were running for their lives. They were abruptly faced with the picture that the Sanhedrin system will have them killed if they keep talking about Jesus. It seems that fear of death is what most likely drove their scattering efforts. But in the meantime, prophecy after prophecy was being fulfilled. Then Jesus tells them when this is all over, meet me in Galilee. And of course, that would be when the disciples were huddled with fear in the upper room, trembling. But back to the stumbling. Peter stepped up to reassure Jesus that he would be loyal. Do you think that comforted Jesus? Probably not, knowing what was really going to happen with Peter. Peter stepped up to reassure Jesus that he would be loyal. Even if the others scatter and turn away from you, never me. Peter actually thought that he was a rock. But guess what? Peter didn't even know his own heart. But fortunately, Jesus did. Jesus knew that Peter would betray him that night. Peter said in Matthew 26, 33, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. You see, Jesus already knew that each disciple would turn on him. Once Jesus is arrested, they begin scattering like roaches. How about you? Do you stand up for Jesus? Are you embarrassed when you're around non-Christians? Or do you stand up for Christ and tell the good news? The world is constantly pulling at our heartstrings, so make sure to stay in the Word of God to keep reminding yourself of the future promises of God and the past loyalties of Christ dying in your place on the cross. 2. Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane On a full moon night, Jesus headed to Gethsemane. So think about this. The Garden of Gethsemane was full of olive trees, and the name Gethsemane means oil press. So you see, olives were pressed, and the oil produced was the most desirable and useful part of the olive. Thus, the oil of the Holy Spirit is most desirable to a believer. As Jesus prayed while asking James, John, and Peter to pray, he felt the crushing of the olives in his spirit as he sweat blood and agony. You know, that's the picture of what has to happen when we get saved also. We must feel the crushing weight of conviction of sin and repent to be saved. When I got saved, I remember weeping for days over the agonizing thoughts of my past sin. Once the crushing of conviction occurs, then the oil of the Holy Spirit anoints us and we have the power to serve God wholeheartedly, not ashamed of our past sin that was washed away by Jesus. Think about it. In several hours, Jesus would be crushed to death and would raise from the dead. Then and only then could there be a victory in the lives of all humankind if they repent and believe. That's really good news, isn't it? So here's the account from Matthew 26 from the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You know, Jesus wasn't asking much from these three disciples, just to watch and pray. I mean, how hard can that be, right? All Jesus wanted was to know that a few of his followers were praying for him and that they cared enough to stay awake. This was such an important time to pray because it was not only for them, but for all mankind that Jesus continued to the cross. But the problem is our human minds have trouble wrapping around the urgency of a cause like this. Have you ever been asked to pray without ceasing for something? It's difficult to remain focused, isn't it? Personally, I like to go to find scripture to help me stay focused. I'll do a word search on BibleGateway.com to find scripture relating to what I'm praying about. Otherwise, I could fall asleep, so to say, as my mind wanders all over the place. Sound familiar? Well, the disciples were human too, but Jesus was agonizing in the garden. Luke 22:44 gives another account of Jesus' agony that says, Jesus, being in agony, prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the earth. Imagine if Peter, James, and John knew that Jesus would be in that much agony. They probably would have stayed awake. This fact should help us realize how important prayer is in our lives also. Make sure to commit to powerful, focused prayer for God's will. Get creative so you can stay committed and focused. But think of several points in this prayer time in Gethsemane. The prayer was not for Jesus, but for the disciples. Jesus told them what to pray, that they needed to pray for themselves against the wiles of the devil, that serpent of old. He said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Did you ever think about how prayer is to guard us from temptation? I mean, think of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Give us our daily bread, which is essential, right? Then lead us not into temptation. Well, who tempts us? Satan. When Jesus was praying in the garden, he came back to the disciples three times, and each time they were asleep. You know, there's something special in God's word about three times. For example, Paul prayed three times for the thorn in his flesh to be taken away. And fortunately for Paul, God gave him grace, which was sufficient. But Jesus was about to face the wrath of sin on the cross. Then he could hear the distant sounds of soldiers with lanterns and swords and clubs. It looks like Jesus had to drink that cup he kept praying for God to take away. That cup was the cup of wrath of the cross where Jesus would shed his blood, and this blood was the new covenant. This would be Jesus' valley before the victory of eternal life. 3. Jesus is betrayed. The next section of Matthew 26 details the betrayal of Jesus. 
And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with the great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So let's look at this picture for a minute. When the enemy entered the garden to arrest Jesus, it would be about 24 hours later when he died on the Roman cross. The Jews couldn't kill Jesus with stoning because they were under Roman rule. The death had to be under Rome's jurisdiction. Interesting that Judas brought the enemy to Jesus with clubs and swords, as if Jesus was going to battle with them. Well, the false leaders were unsure about Jesus seeing that he did so many miracles. They were probably afraid of what Jesus might do to them. Then Judas, who was labeled one of the twelve, became he that betrayed Jesus. Another point to think about while hearing this passage is that Judas kissed Jesus. The word kissed in Matthew 26, 49 means to kiss fervently. This kiss was not a normal greeting, but a slap in the face, so to say. Isn't it sad that Judas couldn't bring himself to talk openly with Jesus, but he was hiding his betrayal when all the while Jesus knew his heart? Jesus also knew the heart of Satan that had entered into Judas. Then Jesus talked about this incident fulfilling Old Testament scripture. Let's look at some of the prophecy. First, there was Isaac being sacrificed on Mount Moriah, and then Jonah being a picture of Christ's death. Isaiah 53 described most of the details on the cross, and Psalm 22 and 69 detailed much of it also. So God predicted all the details of the death of Jesus on the cross, which verified that he truly died and truly fulfilled God's will that day. This is the reason Jesus had to die on the cross, to fulfill Scripture. And he wasn't about to fight with swords and clubs, but he stayed silent. Peter, in his flesh, wanted to fight with swords when he abruptly cut off the servant's ear. But Jesus quickly resolved to restore the ear once Peter cut it off. You know, if we aren't in prayer and reading the Bible, we can wield our sword of the Word of God incorrectly also. We must be dedicated to prayer each day, especially if we're sharing Christ with nonbelievers. Some Christians are too aggressive and not gentle as doves with nonbelievers. The tragedy could be that a lost person could get so turned off that they put up a wall to the gospel message. Make sure to stay in the Word of God to be prepared to give a gentle answer to the hope that you have within you. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. 
having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Make sure to explore these words in Matthew and take them to heart so that you can do God's will during your time on earth. God will multiply your talents so that you can be useful to his will and you can get more talents as you go. 4. False Testimony The enemy was so good at lying. Satan is the father of lies, and that's what marks an enemy. Lies. Think about this. If you wanted to arrest someone but could only make it happen by telling a lie, that's pretty lame, right? The onlookers couldn't find one thing wrong with Jesus, but the false enemy leaders were crafty like Satan and found people to falsely accuse Jesus. You know, it's a good thing that Jesus didn't try to defend himself, and it's a good thing that the disciples were so afraid that they didn't defend Jesus either. Why? Because if Jesus had received any defense at all, he never would have been convicted to death on the cross. Then we wouldn't have a new covenant that had the power to save us unto salvation. Aren't you happy there was false testimony? I used to get so upset reading through this part of the Bible because of the gory details of Jesus being tricked and beaten and mocked and so on. But when you stop to realize that it's good news and God's will, it's not so bad to look at. Make sure to read it with adoring eyes and grateful hearts that Jesus, number one, came to earth to grace us, and number two, he died for our sins. He died for us. Let that sink in for a minute. It's the greatest news of all time. Let's see what Matthew 26, 57 says about this encounter with Caiaphas and other false leaders. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death but found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat on his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? This is tough to read, right? But here's a question for you to ponder. Why did they take Jesus to Caiaphas, and why were there so many people judging this encounter? Well, Jewish law required agreeing testimony of two or three witnesses before judgment could be passed. So we see in this passage that they were scrambling to find enough witnesses for him to be accused. None of these witnesses could hold up in a court of law, but then they scrambled to find more witnesses so that there could be some type of agreement. What a clown show this must have been. But what about their accusations about Jesus destroying the temple? That's what they thought when Jesus said he would destroy the temple. 
They were so confused by this saying, but Jesus meant his body. In John 2, when Jesus was cleansing the temple, it said, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us, since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has been forty-six years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. It's interesting how the disciples couldn't comprehend any of Jesus' words about dying on the cross until he actually rose from the dead three days after being buried. That's why we see denials from the disciples. They were so worried about their physical bodies being destroyed that they couldn't recall anything Jesus said to them, like in Matthew 10:28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus had legions of angels as defense in heaven, so they could trust Jesus for protection, but they had a mind blank due to their fear. It's funny to think that Judas was joined by 600 men when they went to arrest Jesus. That's only one-tenth of a legion, so they were gravely outnumbered. If Jesus had not wanted to go to the cross, these guys would have been toast because he had 12 legions of angels at his disposal at any time. But Jesus wanted to die on the cross. He desperately wanted to save the world. Doesn't that warm your heart? He died to pay our fine in full so we could be in fellowship with God forever. 5. Peter denies Jesus. Now for the denial of Peter. The other disciples stood far away and scattered to save their skins, but Peter denied Jesus just as Jesus predicted. Listen to what happened. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know this man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also were one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know this man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Wow, Peter not only denied Jesus, but he denied him with an oath. By swearing an oath in a court of law, Peter would have been court-martialed for lying. But would we be any different? Have you ever cowed down not to associate with Christian activities to avoid blaming and ostracizing at work or around lost friends? Peer pressure is a tough thing, but when possible death is involved, that peer pressure mounts. Once Peter heard the cock crow, like Jesus had told him, he was crushed. Maybe to the extent that Jesus was crushed while praying in the garden while sweating tears of blood. Who knows what Peter went through after realizing his blatant denial of Jesus, full of oaths. But the good news is this crushing of Peter's spirit was part of him coming to conviction to the point that he was one of the leaders who launched the church, the Bride of Christ.
If you ever fall and go into a life of denying Christ, there is hope for you, so don't ever walk away from Christ, but press in to stay close in fellowship. There's no sin that God will not forgive, so keep reading and listening to God's Word and stay close in prayer to resist temptation. Thanks for listening to Matthew 26, and next week we'll continue with Matthew 27, and we'll see the happenings during the last few hours before the victory of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. See you then. Thank you for joining us for the Ashley T. Lee Podcast. This podcast was produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. And to find out more about Ashley, go to ashleytlee.com. If you would like to help or contribute to Ashley T. Lee Ministries, click on contact at ashleytlee.com.